All right, the Dossier Podcast is back again. This is Jordan Schachtel, your host. Today, I'm with John Sherrod. He's um, one of the guys that I've always been followed that I've been following for a while um, on Twitter slash X. Um, he runs a, a Substack focused on Apple reporting, and um, you know, I, I think that it's kind of there's this big event happening, um, kind of under the radar by Apple standards. And on February 2nd, I believe, John, they're releasing their spatial right. computing device. And, you know, John has an interesting background that he can kind of talk about. But, you know, what what I found that was especially unique for someone who's covering Silicon Valley all the time and Apple specifically is that John is, um, you know, ideologically very much one of the, um, you know, the, similar to to the ideological framework of the people that you know read and listen to the dossier podcast um very much i think coming from a pro freedom perspective and you know, he's, he seems to be um you know we haven't spoken before this but uh, you know i appreciate how you're you seem to be very open-minded about a lot of topics and uh i, I so much value that so you know thanks for coming Thank on you. and uh thanks for being here yeah thanks for having me yeah so I, I wanted to kind of jump right into it. Um, so we have this, and then we can maybe go back into the history afterwards, but sure. basically we have this Apple device um, that they're branding as a spatial computer, um, which is, you know, for those who are sort of familiar, it kind of looks like one of those headsets developed by Facebook and these other companies and yep. Google. Um, and they're claiming that this is, from what I understand, this device, which is has a current price tag of $3,500. Um, so it's not cheap, but it seems to be very innovative. Um, what is the, how is this product going to separate? Like what makes this product different than say like the Oculus or something like that? It's a great question. Uh, for starters, it's, it's, it, it's very much on the high end price wise. Um, so a lot of those Oculus devices, are much more attainable from a price standpoint, and they're much more games focused. And while there will be a games component to Apple Vision Pro, um, that's definitely not the primary focus of it. Um, a lot of the other headsets also um, are very much, you know, we, heard, we, we throw around the term VR a lot, and they're much more virtual reality focused where the goal is to more remove you from the real world and put you in a, in a fantasy environment or, or something different like that visit a different location. And there's some amount of that with Apple Vision Pro. Uh, but the reason that they're using that term spatial computing is that the idea is less to take you away from the real world, but more to bring technology into your field of vision in a way that incorporates reality and the digital world in a more direct and seamless way than that. Yeah, I, I like the branding because I, I think, I don't know about you, but I think the whole metaverse thing just went, yeah. went bust. And it it is associated, especially, you know, with people who kind of believe in human freedom and associating with people normal, normally, yeah. um, this idea that we're all going to be in our pods, I think Apple probably wanted to get away from that type of branding. So I, I, I think it's, it's interesting that they've pivoted. It, it has, have they even mentioned this concept in, you know, the way they've rolled? I don't think they have, right? Like the whole idea of a metaverse. No, there's really nothing like a metaverse. Um, and yeah, the metaverse is is kind of weird and dystopic. Um, and then you've also have the little cartoon character avatar component to a lot of the 
the way those other companies are approaching it. And the only thing that is kind of remotely like that is that when you do a FaceTime call, you actually create this digital persona and it does have that uncanny valley computer generated effect. Um, but it's basically trying to reconstruct your actual look and it, and it matches your facial features and expressions and that sort of thing to try to make it seem. So, so in other words, they're really trying to downplay anything like the metaverse uh, with this and just make it a more uh, generalized computing product. And that even um, goes down to a couple of technologies they incorporated in. One is breakthrough so that it, you actually can, there's a dial on the Apple Vision Pro. So if you're in an immersive environment, you can dial more or less of that in so that reality fades out or in wow. based on how much you want it. But if a, a, an actual physical person comes into the room and says hi to you, you'll see their face break through that. Um, and then there's also eyesight. Um, one of the things that uh, makes a lot of these kind of headset products very um, socially isolating is that they're totally covering your face and you can't see a lot of times what's in the world around you and the people can't see your eyes. And I think Apple understands that even Apple Vision Pro is an awkward looking product on your face. It's very large. But this eyesight technology, it takes the faceplate of the Apple Vision Pro and actually uh, places your eyes. And it has sort of a parallax screen effect so that if somebody's next to you, it almost looks like they can see the, the curve of your face in there. So they can actually see your eyes. And we'll see how well that actually works in real life. But I think it's an example of them understanding that this is that can be an inherently isolating thing. And this is a way to kind of address that. Do you have any idea of how many patents were designed specifically for this device? Man, no, I'm sure, I, I'm sure it's many. And I honestly, that's one of the areas that I've never had as much interest in following because everybody's filing patents left and right. And yeah. a lot of times in the press, somebody will say, hey, Apple filed this patent, so that means they're coming out with this product. But that's not the way it works. A lot of times these companies file patents defensively ahead of time and things like that. So... It's yeah, it's so hard to say. Yeah, it, it's interesting because like I think about the potential applications for this device that's rolling out February 2nd. It's like basically a week from yeah. now. And yeah. if we are having a conversation right now. You're probably using a computer. I'm using a computer. Mm -hmm. um, I'm yeah. using a microphone here. Uh, you know, there's there's so much if this product you know gets to that level of hype, we could potentially yeah be having the same conversation next year without any of these hardware devices, right? Like it, that's, I think right. that's the kind of thing that like is kind of mind blowing is that if Apple is able to, to kind of get to that next level, they can potentially remove, like they can save all of us a lot of space, especially those of us who live in apartments and whatnot. So like, I right. think that's a benefit just spatially speaking, but also like, um, you know, there's just like some basic questions, like how would I use a keyboard on that type of device? Is that like a stupid question? Have people thought about how to do no, that? No, no, that's a great question. Yeah, so it, it's going to have a, so the way that you control Apple Vision Pro, of course you put it on your face and you can see your room and it'll superimpose apps uh, into the real world and you can kind of move them around and place them. So one of the examples they showed in their demo was, was that somebody could essentially replace a Mac or a PC with this and you can have your email window here that you can move around in virtual space and your web browser and whatever else that you have a spreadsheet. Um, and you can use it just like a computer and you control it by actually, it uses advanced eye tracking. So it knows the mouse pointer is essentially your eyes. What you're looking at, you would see it hover and select that icon. And then you can just kind of use a pinch gesture with your fingers as the click. 
There is also a keyboard um, that would that kind of pops up in your field of vision and you can theoretically type on. Now, some of the early reports say that this is not a super great experience and maybe Apple can refine it. But if you are planning to use it um, as essentially like a, a laptop and external monitors replacement, you can still pair a physical keyboard and mouse to it. And I think that's what somebody would use if they do plan to use it that way. Yeah, that would be my guess. You know, it's hard to get beyond that that touch surface. But you know what it reminds me yeah. of? Um, my wife and I were just watching the BlackBerry movie. And it, it, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's really good. No. And one of the big parts of the movie, spoiler, sorry, is the, uh, you know, BlackBerry's decline in relation yeah to the innovation of the original iPhone. And, you know, Blackboard mm -hmm. Blackberry, the whole thesis was, you know, we have the best keyboard and no one's ever gonna take away the keyboard. So we don't have to worry about, you know, Apple doing this thing with a big screen. But that was like the revolutionary technology that I remember. I remember I was in college yeah. and everyone had BBM, Blackberry Messenger for a couple yeah. of years. And basically overnight, you know, Steve Jobs gives that amazing presentation and overnight, um, BlackBerry is basically launched out of existence very yeah. rapidly. There's, there's still really, I, I don't know the, the market super well, but it seems like, you know, in all these conversations I'm in, everyone seems to have an iPhone. So do you think yeah. that, like, what are the, because I know this is definitely more of a luxury product, but still it, you know, if you think about people are still buying $1,500 MacBook Pros yeah. and monitors and all that stuff. So, you know, you, you put in the costs all together and there could potentially, you know, be basic, it might cost a little more for the average person, but do you think that this could be one of those revolutionary moments when they just like totally crush the competition? I think it's possible. I, I would never, even when I get skeptical of something Apple's doing, I would never totally write them out because of just what you talked about. I mean, the BlackBerry was huge and people couldn't even imagine how you could get away from having that physical keyboard, which was so popular with the BlackBerry. Uh, and of course, now pretty much all of us are using a touchscreen iPhone or even an Android, which is you know the same thing technologically, where you're just tapping on a virtual keyboard on the screen. Um, the price point is one of the most interesting things about it. Uh, you can definitely make a case for it if you're going to replace... Uh, you know, a home theater situation or a work situation with multiple monitors, et cetera. That's where the price comparison doesn't seem out ridiculous. That said, um, you know, it was always, it's always funny back in the nineties when there was the big uh, Mac versus PC flame wars, everybody was up on the battlements arguing over that sort of thing. And one of the knocks against the Mac was it was always expensive. And it wasn't that it was expensive on a spec-to-spec -spec basis. It was just that Apple never really entered in that super low-end part of the personal computer business. Um, with Apple Vision Pro, and even when you go to the iPhone, you know, the iPhone um, comes out and it's a $500 product originally. The iPad, kind of the same thing. So it is a bit unusual, um, despite some of, the, some of the sort of stereotypes people have about Apple's pricing. It is a little unusual for Apple to come to market where the only uh, entry in a product line is at that really expensive high-end thing. Um, so that's going to probably make it a slower thing to take off. Apple's going to have to stick with this, I think. And really, um, if they really believe, and they seem to, that this could really be the next thing, they're going to have to really stick with it and kind of build the interest in it and eventually work to get that price point lower and probably eventually have a lower-end model with less features um, to, to make that more available to more people. 
Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it just speaks to that, like, you need that big consumer base to make that big shift. Like, you know, everyone yeah. can kind of relate to this. They have an iPhone. You never want to be in a group chat with the guy that has the Android because it kind of ruins the, yes. the iMessage conversation. So there's definitely exactly. that network effect that could come into play. But, you know, I think of it from a productivity standpoint. If they have a functional device for $3,500 that can act as like mm -hmm. a suite for everything I need with my business and whatnot. I mean, that's that's money I'm happy to spend. So even for, to, from an individual yeah. standpoint and a non necessarily communicative span, standpoint, if it's functional, like I'll be the first one to sign up. I don't think I'm going to get it on the, yeah. on the second. I'll wait to see how people like it. But, you know, right. I, I find like they have definitely a unique opportunity. But I wanted to pivot kind of to the sure. the, Silic to the Silicon Valley world as a whole. Yeah, because you um you know, you're, I, I would guess that you're not necessarily so excited about like the whole like DEI, ESG type movements right. on the West Coast yeah. and in this technology as a whole. Um, do you think that that's potentially like mitigating the productivity and advancements in technology? Because like, you know, I'm 34 years old and I, I remember yeah. grow, growing up um, like in the computer age and every, you know, I know that circuit boards can only improve so much, but it's seen that there was just a lot of technological improvement. And it's like, it's, it's, you know, from just my perspective, um, and I don't follow, you know, the, the exact technological specifications closely, is it, does it, has technology or just innovation in that space stalled out? And like, what do you attribute it to? That's a great question. Uh, I don't think so yet. I think the, the fear is, do we start seeing more of that happen um, in the future because of some of the, the, the cultural revolutions taking place in companies, specifically in California? Um, and I think, weirdly enough, I think Apple has been more immune to this so far than a lot of other companies have been. Um, and I think I would even go so far, and this is, might sound weird, but I would almost say that Apple is more of a conservative company. And I don't mean that you know, their, their board members are out there voting for Donald Trump or anything like that. But I think that they are more of your typical old school uh, liberal type person. So they're not as under the sway of some of these uh, new left, more new progressive type policies. A lot of Apple's leadership is older. And I think that probably is helping uh, stave off some of that affecting Apple. Uh, one of the big things, though, that affected Apple in the last few years um, was uh, what affected a lot of uh, the, the country, which was COVID and the, the policy responses to that and everything shut down. And, you know, Apple uh, very famously a decade ago built that spaceship looking campus in Cupertino, California. Um, mm -hmm. And they have always been a company that has really prioritized uh, work from work, work in person and the, the, the types of uh, spontaneous meet in the hall and, and have a conversation with, a, with another engineer kind of thing that's hard to do remotely. And so I think that really um, affected quite a lot of things. I think when they had to send their workforce home and then also try to pivot to come up with some of these products um, that were more geared toward the COVID economy, like they came out with the SharePlay technology where you could watch a show on Apple TV Plus with somebody else. And I don't know how many people ever did that with any of those services, but I think they really suffered in terms of what they were doing for that time period by shifting away to some of those things that were distracting from what they would have been doing otherwise. I do think long term, you know, depending on what happens culturally, and especially when a, when a younger generation of leadership comes into Apple, that, that, that's where I would have maybe more concern about some of that stuff affecting Apple directly. So, you, you, so you're a fan of Tim Cook, by and large. You, you think that he's... Yeah, by and large. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead. You're good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously I, um, I came into being a fan of Apple um, during the time when Steve Jobs came back to Apple after sort of his time in the wilderness away from the company. And, um, you know, Steve Jobs, it, for, for anybody that's watching or listening that hasn't uh, watched the Steve Jobs presentation, I really recommend that, especially if you're interested in uh, the business world, leadership, communication, et cetera, because Steve, uh, Steve Jobs just had a unique gift for communicating um, anything, but particularly products and why you should want this product that Apple is coming out with. And Tim Cook is definitely not that. Tim Cook came out of the operations side of Apple and supply chain, that sort of thing. Um, and he sort of had the impossible task. It's a little bit now with yeah. what's happening in Alabama. Nick Saban's retired. Somebody's got to step into the greatest of all time shoes and, and try to repeat that. Um, and Tim Cook uh, does not have that visionary talent or that communication skill that, that Steve Jobs had. But I think he's done a fantastic job. He's grown Apple quite a bit. And, um, and again, he has sort of not allowed a lot of that more radical uh, cultural stuff to seep into Apple in ways that are affecting it that we can see from the outside anyway. Yeah, I noticed it. If you remember that little back and forth, um, well, it wasn't really a back and forth. There was news that Apple had stopped its advertising on Twitter. And yeah. Elon Musk publicly called out Tim Cook. And then I remember a few days go by and then he writes like some kind of tweet and he's like, oh, thank you, Tim. We've resolved our issues. And that is that. But it does seem like Tim Cook is the kind of guy that, you know, this is a serious executive. Um, yeah. I think he knows how to play the game. Like when Apple has these commercials that um, are friendly to the wokesters and whatnot, I yeah. think he, he understands that that's part of the culture in the Silicon Valley technology world. And there's like, you know, there, there's an, um, you can't just completely defy it um, if you're running this giant institution. So yeah, I, I think that he's, I think he's playing it the right way, but I, I would love to have, you know, a, a private one-on-one -on -one with him or, or hook him up to some truth serum sure. and ask him what he really thinks yeah. about these people. Because my guess is that, you know, this is the guy that's probably putting in 16 hour days and he's just like, are you, are you kidding me? We're uh, expanding the uh, DEI department even further. Um, I'm sure like a lot of these executives probably want to speak out because like, you know, if you look at places like San Francisco, it's a total wasteland. I think uh, X yeah, is the only yeah. company left there. So, um, you know, Apple culture is fascinating to me because it's like, you know, similar to Musk's companies, Apple is is a culture upon itself. Um, and I think that people are really, you know, in a good way driven to work for Apple because they associate with, you know, what Apple has brought to the world. And is that what kind of helps to, or at least help to inspire you to, you know, really get uh, like super down the rabbit hole on the Apple beat? I think so. Yeah, I think I was really, uh, again, very much inspired by Steve Jobs. And if you ever, if people haven't seen it, because it's been, you know, I'm 42 now. So I forget that things that seem like they were just yesterday to me aren't that way for everybody. But if you ever go back and watch Apple's Think Different uh, TV commercial from 1997, um, the, just a fantastic way of communicating what Apple thought of itself and what it was doing, that the work you do and the products that you make have the ability to positively impact the world. And I think that that is something that Apple has been able to sort of 
keep, keep as part of their company culture. I mean, even for people that don't like Apple, um, they know that Apple is very opinionated and uh, has a very specific way of doing things. And I think that always resonated with me and, and, and certainly with Steve's sort of um, uh, radical, not in what we think of as radical today, but in just sort of not accepting the way things have always been and wanting to do something different. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that's always shown out in Apple's products for sure. So what do you make, do you follow like the global developments in technology? Like, do you see that anything is happening in China or in India or even like Brazil where there's some type of like Apple-like organizations, companies? Like, I still feel like, you know, although yeah. America is in a weird place right now, we're still like the epicenter of all functional, um, sophisticated technology. Um, it, it just, you know, everyone has a story about it, you know, even though the Apple products are assembled in China. Um, yeah. It seems that the talent is still in, based in the US. And even though you have like these um, executives of major companies like Google and whatnot um, from abroad, it just seems like whatever, you know, we're, we're kind of drifting away from our capitalist free market innovative foundations. But uh, do you see anything on the horizon where there's like a where there's some kind of movement happening abroad or inside the United States? It's interesting. It's, it really still seems like the United States has uh, takes a strong lead on the creative side of developing uh, the technology and, and there's a lot of other uh, companies that are, are, are places in the world that are fantastic at manufacturing. Obviously, China uh, has a lot of specialty in manufacturing, which is why Apple's been so heavily invested in them for that reason um, in ways that have become more painful in recent years. Um, so there's definitely areas of the world with different specializations. There's a lot of technology, a lot of high end technology being developed in Israel. Um, Apple's uh, head of chip design, Johnny Saruji, is, is an Israeli and leads uh, Apple's efforts, but obviously he came here to the United States to join Apple. So um, I, I really, it's, I, you, you would, yeah, you would think that eventually we'll see something pop up there, uh, but I think the, the United States um, being just such a land of opportunity and freedom, even despite the cultural change, the negative cultural changes we can point to in society, I think that's still uh, so much of what allows companies like Apple here in America to be so successful and visionary and we don't, you know, although there are a lot more issues with um, sort of um, deep state meddling in big tech, like we saw with uh, Twitter, with the Twitter files that came out, um, it's, it's obviously much worse in places like China, where they're much heavier handed approach to managing how you use your device and that sort of thing. So I think that probably stifles innovation quite a bit in places like that. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm of course, deeply concerned about the future of the US, but you know, as long as you have, I guess, the old liberal guard, which is better than the progressive lunatics yeah. taking over. Right. Um, but it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if within a, like a generation, everything went back to normal or everything went to total shit. You know, it seems like it could really exactly. go yeah. either way. And um, do you follow any of these like major Wall Street institutions like BlackRock, you know, these these big institutions that are attached to the money printer that can really influence these companies to go down, to go into those depths that they may not come out of? Um, do you see like the technology world being inundated with this stuff um, in terms of like specific direction from from shareholders or anything like that? 
Yeah, I, I don't follow that as closely as I probably should. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, a, a BlackRock executive is actually on Apple's board of directors. So I, I do have concerns about uh, things from that standpoint, uh, the, the sort of the board of directors and how that affects um, a company like Apple. Um, but um, yeah, and, and, and with ESG in, in particular, one of, the, one of the ways that sort of manifests with Apple, I think, and Apple being more of the old school liberal versus the newer progressive, is uh, Apple is very um, environmentally focused in a lot of ways. Um, and, and certainly, um, most of us would have no problem with a company saying, hey, we found some ways to be efficient and be better stewards of the environment. I guess the question is, are we stepping so far into that that it's negatively affecting the product and it's not really helping the environment, but it's just more of that sort of um, carbon offsets game yeah. that so many companies uh, play, that sort of thing. Um, and it's hard to say. I do think Apple's um, sort of thoughts there are genuine and kind of does go back to that old school sort of liberal way of looking at the environment. But I think that's one of the biggest ways that that plays out with Apple specifically. Yeah, you know, it, it, it comes down to how much you can take of this stuff until it starts to affect your bottom line. And then you're yep. starting to cut resources from other departments. Um, and it mm -hmm. just seems like a lot of companies are getting close to that level. Like you, you look at an institution like Boeing where you know yeah. things are blowing off midair and it's it's very concerning and you know that's it, it might not all be the dei agenda for the right know, for poor engineers and the esg agenda and you know spending money with these um you know lunatic uh supposed climate organizations that are just like ripping people off like a mafia and taking their profits that can't be reinvested so it's just you know that that kind of stuff super concerning to me Oh, so there's one other thing that I, I saw in the news about Apple specifically. So yeah. the Apple car was pushed back a yes. couple of years projected. It, do you think that's, do you think that they're actually working on a car? Cause I, I think that would be pretty cool. I wouldn't put it past them, but it, it reminds me of like when, you know, Elon Musk talks about this in interviews, when he started Tesla, he really had no idea what he was getting into. Like being in the car business is such a difficult business. So I wonder how committed yeah. is Apple to that? Do you have any insight into that? They uh, they started that project about a decade ago. And of course, Apple never says anything about any product until they're ready to announce it. So they've never uh, said anything about this publicly um, other than Tim Cook saying that the car is like a fascinating industry too. That's about the closest you'll see them get. But we know from uh, employment, from people joining Apple and leaving Apple and, and hearing some of the things come out from that, that side of thing, they do seem like they... They're very interested in it. And the automotive industry is, is interesting because a lot of these companies now, uh, even traditional manufacturers, I heard one of the executives at Volkswagen say that they really see their cars as a mobile technology platform more than they see it as what we think of typically as, a, as an automobile. And Volkswagen's going to full electric. Obviously, Tesla has completely disrupted the market as far as that goes. So I do think Apple sees an opportunity and sees that they can take what they do and apply that to that industry. Now, the big challenge, or one of the big challenges with that is that um, obviously manufacturing, it's a complex piece of machinery. Uh, so the manufacturing is something unlike what Apple's ever done before. And, you know, it's hard to say from the outside, but it also seems like they've had just some issues with people coming in and working on this and then leaving to go work at Tesla or Ford or some other company along the way. So uh, I guess it remains to be seen how committed they are to that. And, you know, for me, I think that, again, it's it's the possibility that Apple really could come up with something revolutionary that meaningly, meaningfully contributes to the market, or it could be a major distraction that's preventing them from focusing on 
something that they could be more or better suited to. I don't know. So it kind of remains to be seen. Yeah, the automotive market is is brutal right now. All of these companies, yeah. basically everyone's on the government dole and none of them yeah. are making money. So, I mean, even even Tesla, which has distanced itself greatly from the Biden administration, and it seems that those two entities very much dislike each other, um, yeah. you know, they need the subsidies too. So everyone's playing this game where um, you know, the, the government's printing and, and handing it out to the car companies in order to make them. Um, and this isn't just automotive. This is the entirety of transportation. You know, these these airlines, yeah. same deal, all, all these subsidies. And you wonder if, if it's even possible these days in this economy to create um, a car company that doesn't need an artificial assist from the money printer or from taxpayers or wherever the money's coming exactly. from. Uh, definitely a brutal um industry to be in but you know i wouldn't put it past apple to try to jump into it you know it's a big company huge market cap i don't see maybe you know take a take a chance on it maybe have some uh roll out some and see how consumers like it but anything else um yeah i know it's i know it's super early in 2024 but what's the roadmap looking if you're familiar with the roadmap for the company in general for this yeah. year like what are we going to see other than the spatial computing device on February 2nd. Yeah, that's certainly going to grab uh, most of the head headlines for the first half of this year. Um, in the summer, every June, Apple has what they call their Worldwide Developer Conference. And that is where they always roll out uh, the new software changes to Mac OS, iOS, iPad OS, et cetera. So that's where we'll get to see for the fall and the following year what Apple's big software focuses are going to be. Uh, certainly in September is the traditional time when the year's new iPhone comes out. And because that is... Uh, the largest chunk of Apple's revenue. They, they've been very regimented and sticking to that release and that timetable. So we'll definitely see that. And um, now that you know Apple uh, a couple of years ago pivoted away from Intel in the Mac and are developing their own chips for the Mac as they have been for years in the iPhone, iPad, et cetera. And so that ha has allowed them to control their own destiny a lot more um, in an area where they were really dependent on another company to do that. So they've been much more regular with advancing uh, the rollout of newer and faster chips for the Mac as well. So I think outside of Apple Vision Pro, we're going to see more of a typical year from Apple. Um, it'll be always interesting to see what they come out with as far as the new software, because that really is the bigger picture for most of these products than the actual hardware. Yeah, but that stuff doesn't excite the the masses, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's always like... That's it's true. That's me nerding out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> It, for, for for the Mac insiders, I, I think that's very valuable yes. information for sure. And that uh, it's always kind of scary though when you see a big software update. You're like, uh oh. Um, I think you know a lot of my audience. We kind of make fun of ourselves as conservatives, like we hate change until it's forced yeah. upon us, and then we kind of like change. Right. <laughs> like it's similar with every software updates. Everyone, uh, especially when you hear the conversation about like the iPhones, like, oh, can you believe that they changed all this? And then like two weeks later, right. everyone's like, yes. yeah, it's actually, it actually works pretty well. And, and I like it now. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes change needs to be, needs to be forced upon That's us. true. I'm the weird one. I actually look forward to that change and most people are maybe a little more hesitant about it, but. <laughs> yeah. No, so I, I appreciate your time so much, John. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. So the Substack is your appleupdate.substack.com. Uh, anywhere else you want to send the audience to? Yeah, the other place I spend way too much time on, on X or Twitter, whatever we're calling it these days. So you can follow me there at JWSherrod, S-H-E-R-R-O-D. Yeah, appreciate it. John, by the way, has so much 
valuable insight into other stuff too. I just thought, you know, with he's an Apple guy, I think self-proclaimed Apple guy first and foremost. So yeah. uh, I figured we, we'd knock out this topic and, you know, I so much appreciate your insight uh, and thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.